0: So welcome. This is uh, our second installment in our series, The, The Christian Disconnect. And in this series, we're talking about barriers that all of us face at some time or another, at some level or another. You'll find yourself probably like me, falling into this place where you live life believing in God, but you find yourself throughout your daily existence acting like He doesn't exist and there's this disconnect that goes on. And you've, lightly, you've likely felt how that feels in your own life, right? I mean, you might remember going through a day or a week or a month and all of a sudden realizing, I've been going through this life feeling like it is all up to me, and I'm carrying all that stress, and I'm never really thinking much about God at all in the moment. It's just all I'm doing is thinking about what I need to do and what I have to do to succeed. and. And God is a, a far-off idea maybe at best or, or at, at worst. He's, he's rules that you need to follow or even worse than that, sometimes He's rules that crush you because you realize you can't follow them. right? You may even be living there right now. Maybe you're not living there in all areas of your life. Maybe you're living there in just some areas. Maybe you believe in God and believe that you're forgiven of your sin, but you really struggle with the idea of healing. Or you trust Him because in the past He's comforted you in times of trouble, but you live in your financial world like He doesn't exist. And you take all the stress on yourself to perform, to do better, to to, to get more. And you you, you hold that area with such control and anxiety on a regular basis in your financial world. Or maybe you've been close to God in an area in the past, but that distance has kind of crept in. You know, like maybe you got healed Maybe God healed you in the past, but now you're facing some healing that is not resolved yet and you're not sure it's going to be and there's this dissonance and you, you deal with that dissonance by disconnecting from God. There's a disconnect that all of us are tempted to, isn't it? We all can relate to experiencing that times in our life. Every one of us, whether, whether you're, you're a pastor like me or whether you're a long-time believer, whether you're a new believer or whether you're a person still seeking out the answer to is God really who He says He is and is Jesus that God? If you're still seeking out that answer, we still all face these disconnects. Last week in introducing this series, we talked about the fact that it takes all of us some time to grow in intimacy in our relationship with those in our life. And the same is true with God. It's this this lifelong quest we go through to learn to know Him well, to really personally know Him. And the amazing thing is He wants us to know Him that way. Today we're going to talk about a very specific area of this struggle that I think everybody will be be able to relate to. I'm going to introduce it this way. I usually don't tell good old versions of long-time pastor stories that have circulated for decades, if not centuries. But I'm going to tell you a good old pastor story today because it's told over and over again in various forms. And the story goes like this. A pastor uh, came to church one day, and he was pastoring a church in a bad part of town. And he got up in front of his uh, congregation and said, I want you to pray today that God will shut down the strip joint just around the corner from our church that is so involved in sex trafficking and there's so much drugs and crime and other stuff going on. I want you to join me in prayer that God would shut that place down. And so they did. They prayed together that Sunday. They prayed together every Sunday for a couple more Sundays. And they prayed throughout the week. And a few weeks later, lightning struck the club and burned it to the ground. And it went away, right? And the owner of the club heard that the church had been praying for the place to be shut down, so he decided to sue him. It was their responsibility. So he took him to court. And on the day of the court case, he got up and vehemently argued before the judge that God struck his club and put him out of business because of these guys' prayers. They're liable. And the pastor before the judge is all concerned about that threat of liability and he answers the judge saying well you know we did pray that's right but i didn't really believe anything was going to happen like that now that's a good old preacher illustration preacher made up story but nonetheless doesn't it illustrate how many of us feel all too often in regard to prayer we believe in god we have this intellectual assent to the fact that prayer is a valuable thing and yet when we pray, there's all too often internally we feel like, well, I don't really know if much is going to happen, right? That can describe all of us at sometimes. I know it does me. I mean, I've prayed and I've believed in prayer and I've seen miracles through other people praying. I've been a part of praying when, when he, miraculous healings have happened. I've seen God do provision in astounding ways when people were just needed and couldn't find another way and it just miraculously happened. I've watched many of you and many other people be led by God and I've seen God lead my own life in ways that could only be described as God's divine imprint being upon that decision. And yet, if I'm not careful, I find myself believing in God and praying for people, yet internally not really expecting a whole lot to happen. I mean even further on that from prayer for my own self. I, I wouldn't describe myself as someone particularly gifted in prayer. I mean, there are people out there who are not just more disciplined in prayer, they're actually more gifted in prayer. And their, their idea of a fun time on Friday night is an hours-long, many hours-long prayer meeting. And that's just the idea of fun to them. And, and frankly, for me even praying in a group, I would just rather pray on my own. Now, I've learned the value of praying in the group, and, and I think all of us should, even if we're uncomfortable with that, learn that, because there's power and value in that. But, but frankly, I'm more comfortable just praying on my own than in a group. And I've had some different experiences with prayer in church that have been not so great all the time. Uh, we attended a church for a while where at the end of the service, the pastor would always ask everybody to, to grab hands, stand up, grab hands, and then he would pray for a really, really long time. Now, it was great as long as I was holding Wendy's hand or one of my kids' hands. I like holding their hands, but unfortunately, we were leading a meeting in a skating rink that wasn't very well air conditioned. And in the summer, you'd inevitably get next to the guy who'd just gone like, and then he and his hand would sweat. And it was like, it was like the, well, I got licked by my neighbor's bulldog once, and it was like, it was like ugh, gel. It wasn't like even wet saliva. It was just you know and you just you're holding hands praying like that and you're going, God, I really want to pray about this, but this guy's hand is really sweaty. It's really gross and and pretty soon you just do the squeeze because I'm done, right? It's always the squeeze when you're holding hands and I'm squeezing and I'm done. Or, 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 or even if the pastor finally says amen, you squeeze anyway. Why? Because the other person's probably daydreaming and not realizing you said amen and you want to stop holding hands really fast, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes. And we've got all these different experiences with prayer and yet prayer is touted in the Bible. And by every great of Christian history as this most beautiful, compelling, powerful thing. And yet for so many of us, it's this awkward thing or uncomfortable thing. It's like our key verse for this series says, it's a, it, it becomes and feels to us like a form of godliness, but it's lacking in power. And we struggle with it. We easily believe in God but not in prayer and live disconnected from the power of prayer. If you're here today and you're not a convinced follower of Jesus yet, you still haven't made up your mind about the whole Jesus thing and and this whole Christian thing yet, this is a really important message for you today. Because more than getting answers to your questions, the way you discover a God that's alive is to interact with that God through prayer in conversation. And it's really important for you to get this prayer thing down more than even your questions answered about morality and about life and about all that stuff in order to discover whether God is who He says He is and whether that God is Jesus. So we're talking about disconnects. And when we experience a disconnect in our life, we can respond to that disconnect in typically one of two ways. We can give ourselves a Nike motivational speech, just do it, just do it, just go pray, right? Uh, that's not this message. The reality is every single one of us will buy into the fact that prayer is valuable. And we should be a part of that as people of faith. That's just obvious to all of us. We don't need the just do it message because the just do it message, all that does is make us feel guilty and make us feel like we never measure up, especially because most of the people who preach on prayer are early morning people who tell you that prayer at 5 a.m. is better than prayer at 2 p.m. And that just makes me tired and I don't want to listen to them. Right? And it's probably the same way for you. Just do it is one way of dealing with a disconnect in our life. But another way, and I think a better way, which we're going to focus on today, is to understand the reasons for the disconnect. Understand the beliefs and the feelings and the thoughts going on behind the disconnect. This tension point that is threatening to pull the cord and out of the socket and leave us without power and hope, disengaged from prayer. And that's where our focus is going to be today to invite each of us to try to take a look inward to understand what is it that tempts us most, or maybe if you're struggling with it right now, what is it that keeps me, my, about my beliefs about God or other people or myself from engaging with prayer? Now, we're not going to deal with all the ins and outs about prayer. In fact, we're planning a prayer series in the not-too-distant future, so we'll deal with some of those later on. But today the question is, what causes us to disconnect from prayer while at the same time we believe in God. And I think it comes down to two areas that we're going to talk about the rest the most of the rest of the message here how we feel about ourselves and what we believe about God. So first how we feel about ourselves. No matter what you think If you have sinned and done something that was disappointing to you, that you felt like you didn't measure up to what you wanted to do, any time in recent history, you're tempted a lot of times to think that I am not good enough for God to hear me. Right? And then on top of that, if you've been around the church long enough, you know there's scriptures all throughout the scripture that talk about that sin can be a barrier to God hearing us in prayer. And you take that and you misapply that to further say, well, then I'm certainly not good enough for God to listen to my prayers. Now, we're not going to deal with that whole misapplication of sin thing this morning so much in prayer, but I'm just going to say this. The reality is that God loves the imperfect prayers of imperfect people especially imperfect people who have decided to accept His perfect forgiveness. He loves our imperfect prayers from imperfect people. See, one of the greatest statements of faith in God and a heart that wants to follow God is the fact that we would actually turn in our darkest moments of sin and pray to Him in that time period. There was um, one story... Uh, I, I can't remember where I heard it from, uh, several years back that I heard, uh, th- th- that made a huge impact on me. Not a huge enough, I guess, for me to remember, but I don't remember titles of songs anyway and anything like that, so forgetting where it came from is no big deal for me. But it made a huge impact for me in, in regard to this particular issue. It was the story of a young man who was struggling with pornography and acting out in sexually inappropriate and self-destructive ways. In addition to that, he was struggling with some chemical dependency issues on top of it. And he felt tremendously guilty he knew that what he was doing was sinful and it was destructive to his life and destructive to the relationships in his life. And, and he was in counseling. And after a long time in counseling, after hearing all the right things to do, to think differently, to to learn to catch your impulses before they get too far so you can restrain them and, 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 and even having a, a appropriate accountability and learning what that looked like in your life, hearing all sorts of good stuff, all sorts of great, good cognitive therapy ideas that are that are perfectly in line with the Bible, none of it was working for him. He was struggling and not finding any freedom. And one day he was sitting with his spiritual mentor. And his spiritual mentor looked at him and said basically, you know, the Bible says that Jesus has already forgiven you of that. But when you get caught in this behavior, in those moments of sin, you hold God at a distance over something God has already done the work for. Why would you do that? He says, what if instead, in those moments as you're starting to get sucked into that addiction and starting to act out, maybe starting to take those drugs or sitting there in the strip joint and and, and doing that stuff, what if instead you asked in those moments for God to come to you in that moment and be with you and show you His love, even as you're in the middle of doing it? And he began to turn to God after that conversation, even in those moments, even as he was sitting in the strip bar, even as he was starting to take the drugs or in the middle of it, he would start to ask God to come and be with him. And it's, it's interesting, initially it didn't prevent him from acting out and doing those behaviors, but gradually the distance in his relationship with God began to change. And so did his behaviors. His behaviors. I mean, he began to find freedom from the behaviors as he found freedom from the shame and the guilt and he received God's forgiveness. Now, he he wasn't flaunting his sin and throwing it in the face of God's grace and truth in those moments. He knew it was sin. But even then, while being sucked into what had become addictive behaviors that he was having a hard time controlling with a humble heart, even in those moments while he was acting out, he was asking God to be with him and bring freedom to him. And that heart shift internally in his motivation began to change. And instead of feeling horrible and condemned and all the pressure to perform, his heart began to be more and more settled in the peace of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And that inward change gradually began to manifest itself in outward change of behavior as well. And I would call that prayer. That's prayer. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it sounded like. But it was learning to not let the feeling of not being good enough continue to be a barrier and instead connecting with God because God loves imperfect prayer from imperfect people. Now, there's another way we feel about ourselves that often gets in the way as well of our prayer, and it's, it's simply this, that we, we don't feel mature enough we're not important enough in God's economy or in this world to make a difference. I mean, I'm sure that God answered all of Mother Teresa's prayer, and I'm sure that Billy Graham had a red line to God, I mean, just write to him. But me, I mean... It's so easy to think that I'm so insignificant in the scheme of things that why would God ever listen to me? I mean, I probably have one of those old party line phones that you had to crank the crank in order to get the operator on the end who had like a bazillion cords to plug into the right place to answer and say, what line do you want? And hope that she got it in the right thing, which would take me then to another switchboard. And and there's so many switchboards between me and God that it's really unlikely It's really unlikely that I'm ever going to get connected to God in this whole thing. And it's it's even more highly unlikely because I'm not patient enough. I'm not patient enough and disciplined enough to pray long enough, to stay on the phone long enough for the weeks of time that might take to wait for the connection with God. So why bother, right? After all, I mean, if I'm praying on this old phone line, my old phone line doesn't even have elevator music. It just sounds like silence when I'm praying. I don't even have something to entertain me in the moment, right? And we think, oh, sure it would have been nice to be one of the disciples, right? Just to be with Jesus. I, I wouldn't even have to be one of the three. I wouldn't even have to be one of the 12. I, I wouldn't even have to be one of the 70. It Just put me in the 120. But you know what? The reality is I'm in the somewhere in the bottom billionth of people in the world right now. Right, that's how we think, and because God knows the billions of poor and destitute all around the world, without without food, without adequate health care, they certainly need more of His attention than I, the person with all the opportunity that I have in America today. They need His attention more, and, and I mean, those Christians being pursued by ISIS, I'm sure they can get right through to God really easy because they need Him more, and I'm sure John Doe down the street, who's destroying his family by by running away from God and doing all sorts of destructive, addictive behavior. I'm sure if he calls out to God, God's going to listen to him because his needs are bigger than mine. But my last week, the worst thing that happened to me this last week was a nail in my sidewall. Thank you, Naomi, for spotting that, and I got it fixed mostly because of a, a, a warranty, a road hazard warranty. And, and the other worst thing that happened to me this last week was not forgetting to eat lunch until four in the afternoon because I had too many meetings, and all of a sudden getting a headache and feeling tired. I mean, if you know my little problems, they're insignificant. Why would God even want to pay attention to them? My position in the world is certainly not as important as Billy Graham's or Rich Nathan's or Beth Moore or Tim Keller. I mean, this issue of how we feel about ourselves also bleeds over into how we think about God, right? We're so small and insignificant, and God is so big and significant. What does He really care about my small needs? I mean, if my needs are small... And what about my desires? I mean, they're nothing, right? Why would he even pay attention to those? They're not really needs. They're just desires. And yet what we see in the Bible, and what you'll hear if you talk to Christians who are are faithful in prayer on a regular basis, and they're talking about their everyday experience with God right now, today, in this world, is that God is concerned about the great things, and the ordinary mundane things of your life, he's concerned about the big needs, and he's even concerned about the little desires. I mean, we see it in the Bible. Jesus heals the leper and raises the dead, and he makes wine at a party when they ran out of wine. You know, he heals the blind man, and and, and he makes a fig tree wither for no other reason than a glorified object lesson. I mean. In the Old Testament, we see it as well. We see Him doing miracles to deliver Israel from from Egypt, and, and, and we see Him doing a miracle to raise an iron axe head that, fl- that fell in the deep part of the water up to the surface so somebody just could continue their work for that day. You know, I mean, He consider- he, he, he answers the, the prayers of great prophets and great kings, and He answers the prayer of this little pagan widow woman, Zarephath of Sidon, to just give enough food for her and her son to live. The the Bible says God knows the hairs on your head, even if you shaved your head because you don't think you have enough. Right? God is a relational God. He wants to be known, and as we talked about last week, He wants to be known to the level of us calling Him and Him calling us, what? Friend. Right? That's what Jesus said to us last week. Friends don't always talk about substantive things, do they? I mean, friends share the great things and they share the ordinary things, the mundane things. Friends give to each other in the great things and they, and they care about the little things that don't really make that much difference. They don't, they, they care about the fact that you don't like pecans or, or they care about the fact that you'd rather have briars of vanilla bean ice cream on your apple pie instead of the stuff that has it all full of gourd gum and all sorts of artificial flavors, right? They, they care about the big things and they care about the little things. And the point is, God has the time and desire to be interested and attentive to everything in your life. Whether it's just the joy you have from a piece of new clothing or whether it's the pain you have a, from a simple headache that you got because you didn't drink enough water that day or whether it's the big job decision or, or whether it's the big health challenge or, or whether it's you or your friend's eternal salvation. He has the desire to be interested and attentive to it all in your life. Now certainly some things are higher on his priority list, right? I mean I, I respond differently to a friend with a hangnail than I do with a serious problem. And that's just reality, right? But God cares and He wants to relate to you and He wants you to relate to Him in the small and the big things regularly and consistently. See, we can easily feel that our issues are too small for God and God is too big and has more important things. But the fact of the matter is God is capable of handling it all without losing focus on the big things, the more important things, and yet he wants to be personal with us in everything, small things and big things. So we're talking today about the disconnect and the meaning, the beliefs that tank us behind those disconnects that are driving them whether that thinking is god is too too big and i'm not important enough or whether the thinking is i'm not uh, i'm i'm too imperfect to merit being heard the disconnect in the area is what we need to focus on we have lots of symptoms that surround those disconnects i mean if we're experiencing one of those disconnects we're probably going to struggle with prayer being boring right? We're going to probably struggle with it feeling like a meaningless ritual that we just do because we have to do it and because we know it's the right thing to do. We're going to probably struggle with our mind wandering a whole lot more than normal. We're probably going to struggle with the idea of unanswered prayer, but the disconnect comes from what we feel or believe about ourselves or God. And the final major disconnect I want to deal with today is it relates to how we view with God, and it's simply this. It's the idea that God is sovereign, And that brings up the question, is God fair? Now, we're not going to deal with that issue in detail this week. In fact, I want to invite you back next week. Jeremy's going to have a really great message on specifically when when we believe in God but don't think He's fair. And we're going to deal with that more detailed next week. But today I want to just touch on that from the standpoint of how that makes us feel and how that drives us to back away from God in prayer, right? When life doesn't seem fair... That especially comes up in our life, right, when we're when we praying something that we feel like is really just good and right. We believe that this is exactly something God would want, especially when it has to do with somebody who's really good or somebody who's innocent or somebody who, if God just did this for them, this would be such a huge testimony, so why wouldn't God want to do this? And we're praying for that, and the situation doesn't resolve. Someone dies that we thought should have been healed. Or... Someone, maybe us or someone else, is wrongly accused and treated uh, not with fairness, but with injustice and unfairness, and it's not resolved. So we disconnect because life is difficult to live when things are unresolved, and worse, so poorly or unfairly resolved. And so we struggle with this underlying sense of anger, I mean, even if you're cool and collected on the outside and you're saying all the right things that, that you know, that we say God is in control, right? We say those things. Or or when someone dies, we like to say, well, um, you know, they're in a better place. And all that stuff is true, but 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 still, it doesn't feel fair and it just rubs us wrong about God in those moments, right? And yet, we're rational enough to know that we still believe in God. And we know the idea that God is bigger and smarter and wiser than we are. And, and, and we can even intellectually understand that God says he is love. And if he, def- if he says he is love, then he's the definition of love. So we can, we can just grant him that one, that he's the definition of love. And we don't know what love looks like in this. And, uh, but it still doesn't make us feel good about it. We still don't like it because it doesn't feel good. And it causes us to live life believing in God, but not communicating with Him through prayer because of the barrier of the anger and the disappointment we feel. This is a significant issue in us living life like Christian atheists, people who believe in God but acting like He doesn't exist, that He's not alive, that He's not here. So come back next week. Jeremy's going to answer all the questions on fairness. We're not going to go any further than the motive part of that. No, it's really going to be a great message. I hope you won't miss next week, and I hope you bring some friends with you. There's likely more ways that we discuss. I'm sure we're not exhausted today, but allow me to move on for the rest of the message. Talk about some encouragement for how we can start from wherever you're at. Wherever you're at in this whole learning of prayer thing or in this disconnect thing, we're just going to start wherever we're at. And I think the first piece of advice I want to give you for starting is that prayer is real. Now, I grew up listening to long pastoral prayers. They were my dad. I had to listen to my dad in long pastoral prayers. Many of you grew up listening in your Catholic tradition or your mainline tradition to pastors who preached really, or spoke really long flowery language prayers, some of them written back in the 17th and 1800s that they were reading today. They sounded so colorful, so authoritative, so poetic, and you walk away with the idea that prayer is something you have to do right. And we even attach a metaphor to that. And we t- we've I've heard preachers preach on this that it's like it's like coming into a king's court, and we all know if you come into a king's court, you need to say things right at the right time and the right way, and approach that everything in the right way in order to be heard. Otherwise, you don't get heard, and you get kicked out. So we attach even a metaphor to that, right? Now we're not going to go further with that, other than to say, let me challenge that. God, God wants prayer to be real. He wants you to be who you are in whatever moment of life you are in, whatever's going on in your life right now. I mean, Jesus even illustrates that for us in Luke 18. He talks about this story that he's trying to use for a a teaching lesson that day. And he says this priest came to the temple and came up to the altar and started to pray all these flowery prayers at the altar of God. And everybody was so impressed with him. And then there was this other guy, this this really bad sinning tax collector who he wouldn't even come near the altar. He wouldn't come anywhere near the altar. He would stand at a distance and and he wasn't even able to look up to heaven and he would beat his chest and just cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I I assume that that was Jesus' sanitized way of saying what he was actually saying in his frustration and anger. He was probably much more raw and maybe inappropriate even in what he was saying. But but Jesus actually applauds who? Not the Pharisee. He applauds the tax collector because he was real with who he was before God. He says, that's the kind of relationship I want you to have with me. That's the kind of prayer I want you to have. God applauds David. He describes him as this man after his own heart. Why? Because he was real. With whatever was going on in the moment, he talked honestly with God in his own common language to God. He didn't filter it. If you're, like the story I told earlier, caught in these compulsions and these addictions that you can't break out of, these sins that just continually tank you and you're always feeling guilty and ashamed about it, then talk honestly and openly with God about all those feelings, inviting them into that moment with you. Just be real, be honest, just be who you are right then. I mean, even if you're angry, invite God into that anger and express that anger even towards him. There's a guy in the Old Testament who's got a funny name called Habakkuk, and he writes out his angry prayer. Maybe take time to write your anger out like he did. And he says this, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help but you don't listen? Or cried out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you intolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice, uh, it never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He's real. He's honest he's talking directly to God with that kind of realness. We even see Job and all the pain and suffering he goes through crying out to God and even cursing the day he was born in his conversation with God because the pain is so great, it's so real, it's so honest with the good, with the bad and the good. It's not just about being honest with the bad. It's also being honest with the good. When you get a promotion and you're excited, being honest with that and how you feel at the moment, being, when a fantastic deal closes that you, at work and it's just, it's great. Be honest with them. When your kids are doing well, praise God. It's, it's about the idea of making Him part of your thought and word process in all the realities of your life. And we all know that prayer doesn't even have to be words, right? You communicate with your family members in lots of ways. Not all of them words. You communicate with touch. You communicate with actions. You communicate with looks. You communicate through writing. You communicate with pictures, right? You even communicate sometimes inadvertently through size. And your spouse or your family member will say, what's wrong? I mean, sometimes when I'm just feeling overwhelmed, like I don't know what to do and I just don't feel like I'm going to keep up with life, prayer for me feels like Breathing out sighs and shrugs, and if I'm outside, it'll be a glance to the clouds to remind myself that God is big and bigger than me, right? Beyond that, prayer as well is, a two, is two-way communication. I mean, we would all assent to the fact that God's clearly the wise one, and com- by, our, by comparison to Him, we're pretty foolish, right? And if that's true, which we all assent to, then prayer is really more about listening than it is about talking. It's really more about asking questions, maybe over and over again and listening and observing and waiting for an answer and waiting for understanding and maybe doing that over and over and over again until we gain that understanding from God. How do you create room in your mind, in your heart for God to encounter you, to speak to you, to the answers to your questions? I mean, speak, that's kind of a, a strange word to talk about, a limiting word to talk about when it comes to the spiritual being who created the entire universe. But while it's possible to hear him audibly, and a few have, some have, few have, most of us have heard him through thoughts or, or maybe possibly through words we, help, we heard, kind of like having ear headphones in but, but nobody else hears them. Or, or sometimes, I think oftentimes, we hear God through the things he highlights Or draws our interest to as we're reading the Bible. Why are we interested in this now, God? What are you saying to me? Why is this standing out to me right now? And He highlights something as we're reading the Bible. Sometimes it's a gut feeling. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a picture that pops in our minds. It can be lots of things. But the only way we learn to know what God, what is God and what is not, is through practice. And it's possible it's possible to become better and better at knowing when and how God is speaking to you. Another piece of advice for, to start from where you are and move forward is this. Prayer is intended to be continual. 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, reads this way. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know where God's will is, this is three things that are really good to start with. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But I've got to tell you, when I read this verse a lot of times, it's really tiring because it reminds me of people who like 24-hour prayer. And I just don't have it to do 24-hour prayer. I just get too heavy to... Besides, it doesn't take me 24 hours for my mind to start wandering. It takes me, if on a good day, it takes me five minutes. On other days, it may take me 15 seconds for my mind to start wandering. And then how offensive is that for our mind to wander, talking to the king of the universe? I mean, how offensive can we think of? That's like falling asleep in a big meeting with your boss, only much bigger, right? Right? And then just a couple weeks ago on Good Friday, if you were here, uh, Jeremy read a piece and led us in a devotional that reminded us that Jesus rebuked the disciples in the Garden of the Gethsemane for sleeping instead of praying. Whew, I'm tired. I hate this idea of praying continually. That feels hopeless. Isn't that funny how we can create and turn everything to guilt for us? We have these arguments that go in our mind all the time that turn everything to guilt. I mean, Jesus only asked the disciples to persevere in prayer one time. I don't think we should make one time the standard of, oh my, if you fall asleep or your mind wanders, you're really bad, right? Go ahead, fall asleep in the arms of Jesus every night. Don't worry if you're tired and sleep. Just pray, and if if you fall asleep all the time, just ask God to show up in your dreams because that's where you're headed anyway, right? I mean, come on. Praying continually... Rejoicing always, giving thanks in all circumstances, is not speaking of praying longer or making longer prayers. What it's addressing is this constant, consistent attention that we cultivate to being with God in the moment, in relationship with God in the moment. So you see a need or somebody comes up to you and asks you to pray for them, you pray right then. I don't do this perfectly, but a lot of times... I did it today perfectly because I talked about it in first service. So between service, people come up to me and mention a need. And before they leave, a lot of times I'll just say, God, would you come and bless them with healing? Would you come and bless them with whatever they need? And you just do it right in the moment. You don't promise you're going to pray later. You just do it in the moment. When somebody Facebooks you a need, as you're liking it, you're breathing a prayer. Somebody Facebooks something that's celebratory. As you're liking it, you're liking God in that moment and what he's doing in that moment to be good to them. You're cultivating a conversation with God full of rejoicing, full of prayer, full of thanksgiving on a regular basis. Sorry, I forgot I had one more point. Prayer changes things. Last point. Prayer changes things. Prayer helps us discern our hearts and the disconnects that allow us to invite God into those places to overcome those disconnects. And prayer changes us. There's so many times when we pray, what we want is not exactly what God wants. And and prayer puts us in a place where we get to sort through those wants and discover the better things that God has in store and has in mind for us in that process. And here's the kicker of them all. Prayer changes God's mind. I mean, sometimes we get confused with this idea of God's sovereignty and we confuse God's sovereignty with the idea of complete control when actually we should be thinking more of instead of God's sovereignty being absolute power and authority. And we think God makes up His mind ahead of time and determines everything ahead of time. So why would we pray? I mean, if he's got it all figured out and knows what's going to happen, then why on earth would we ever pray? I mean, prayer doesn't change anything if that's true. But that's not what the Bible paints a picture of God in the Bible being like. Exodus 32, we see Moses interceding for the people after they did some really awful rebellious stuff. And what does it say? It says God relented. God changed his mind. We see Jesus again in Luke 18 talking about another story of... The persistent widow. And then this story that he's telling, he, he talks about this widow who has been unjustly treated and she's constantly going to this ungodly judge who won't render justice for her. And he, he persists, she persistently just begs him every day. She's just basically the thorn in the side every day until he wears down and finally gives her justice and relents. And Jesus relates that in the conclusion to the question whether we will have enough faith to continue to pursue and be persistent in prayer and in our relationship with Him, even if it doesn't come in the way we want or in the time frame we want. He says, be persistent. Uh, Second Chronicles. We see prayer as well. God in this context is speaking about bringing justice and judgment after centuries of amazing patience with rebellion. Just centuries of patience. God says to them, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people because of their repeated centuries-long rebellion, if my people who are called to my name will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to their prayers. And what he's saying is, My eyes and my ears are open and attentive to your prayers. Your prayer, my prayer, can change things for the better. And God is asking for us to be a part of that positive change by engaging with Him and engaging life through prayer. We're going to do a series on prayer, and we're going to talk more in that series about understanding why prayer sometimes seems to not be heard or isn't heard or not answered. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about what God does through us, in us and through us in times of prayer. And we're going to talk about different ways to pray so that we can be a little less apt to become rote or boring in our prayers and have a little more variety. But for now, I just want to encourage you to simply acknowledge what are the beliefs that are causing you to disconnect in regard to prayer. Do you relate to anything we've said this morning? Do you experience that going on in your life now? Or what area are you most tempted to? Do you think that you are too sinful? Do you think that you're too insignificant for God to answer your prayer and do something great through your prayer? Do you think God is too big for your little concerns? Your concerns are just too small? Do you think, are you struggling with the fairness of God? What is it? Where's the disconnect for you I want you to, right now, as the worship team comes, just begin to invite God in your own internal words, or if you want to say it out loud under your breath, that's fine. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come to you and point out those areas where you disconnect and then be there with you in that moment. Okay? Let's just ask, God, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would come. And for each and every one of us, Lord, that you would speak to us right now. Where are we disconnecting from you? you, Here's how I want you to walk away and acting on this this week. I want you to take time, even if you don't have something come into mind right now, I want you to take time to identify either where you're disconnected right now, or what the belief is behind that disconnection, or where you're most prone to disconnect from your history. And then I want you to invite God into that place and just be real and honest. There's probably some real circumstances, some disappointment, some pain or, 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 or beliefs. And I just want you to be honest with God, whatever that looks like behind that disconnect. And I want you to think two-way communication. I want you to ask Him questions. And let Him come to you and clarify that. Let Him be there in that moment with you. And if you're asking questions, look for the answers because He wants you to know. Maybe it'll come through something you read in the Bible. Maybe it'll come through a conversation. Maybe it'll come through a dream. Maybe it'll come through a thought that comes into your mind or a picture. But God wants you to know. He wants to answer those questions. And just begin re-engaging God in prayer with those three things in mind. Develop a habit of continual acknowledgement of Him and rejoicing and taking those needs to Him. It's not about longer prayer times. It's about developing many shots of prayer all throughout the day. All throughout the day. Don't worry about finding the time to pray for 30 minutes at a time or 15 minutes at a time. Just develop the habit of lots of shots of prayer, acknowledging God all throughout the day. And just see what he'll do. Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag quest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.